Thanks a lot, Alex. Um, the general theme of this paper, then, is uh, the relationship between um, Marxism and realism in international relations, and the specific challenge that I think realism poses to uh, Marxism and any thinking that wants to uh, base itself in and kind of develop themes out of Marx. Um, I thought it might be helpful if I started off by just saying something about uh, the purpose of this this paper um, and what I'm going to try and do in it. Um, what I'm not going to do, I'm afraid, is present any um, rounded and complete theses on a particular subject area. What I really want to do is take a, a kind of critical approach and ask some questions rather than um, provide any answers at this stage as such. Um, and what I'd like to do um, is to look at where, as one might say, the, where Marxism is at currently within international relations, the kind of debates and themes, the principal themes that, are, uh, that stand at the forefront of uh, Marxist theory in IR currently, and to try to locate what the problem is that underlies uh, these debates, and to try to tease that out and elaborate it in a particular way, and then to suggest why that problem I think hasn't currently been resolved within Marxism. Um, perhaps one could say hasn't even really been, as I read it at least, hasn't really been uh, specifically formulated. And then to look at what um, that particular failure or uh, insufficiency um, suggests about the use of Marx in IR, both about the current uh, typical uses of Marx and um, what might be done with Marx, or what it might, as I would argue, be necessary to try to do with Marx in IR. So in that sense, it's a kind of a step towards, if one can put it this way, a kind of rethinking of the meaning of Marx in IR. Um, questions like what kind of Marx should appear in the discipline? What questions and what kind of thinking that draws on Marx uh, should uh, IR scholars who want to use Marx be uh, posing to themselves? Um, and ultimately, I suppose, what's the range of Marxism in IR? What are the kind of questions it can and should seek to, do, to address? Um, I think it would, wouldn't be unfair to say that the, the most typical form of Marxism in international relations at the moment is um, broadly has a very strong historical emphasis. Um, and historical sociology is the, the kind of um, characteristic sort of sub-genre, as it were, um, not all of historical sociology in, in uh, IR is Marxism by any means, but a great deal of the Marxism in IR is historical sociology. And I think it would be fair to say that the, historical, the Marxist historical sociology in IR has been extremely successful in uh, dealing with a lot of the questions that it set itself um, from a variety of different theoretical perspectives. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want to um, downgrade or negate any of that um, but I think it's the case that certain the particular questions have arisen within uh, this kind of historical sociological discourse of Marxism and IR, which they are sort of struggling to articulate uh, with sufficient kind of precision and force, um, and that they're not, I think, as I will argue, they're not able to answer in the mode of discourse, the uh, characteristically historical mode of discourse that they are they pursue. I think. What I'll argue is that a different kind of register of inquiry is necessary to address the questions that, that has arisen uh, within this line of thinking. And as I say, the, um, 
main sort of headline idea from, uh, that governs this article is the question of Marxism's relation to realism within international relations. How can Marxism grasp and understand what really is going on in realist thought? And realism being, I think it would be fair to say, the kind of core problematic of the discipline of IR. So that's all by way of introduction. Um, and I thought I would just quickly say something about the, uh, the overall structure of the argument so that you can get a sense of how it fits together and, and how it goes along. Um, first of all, I'm going to say something more about where I think Marxism is at in, uh, in IR, um, what the current debates going on um, focus on, and uh, what, they're address- what issue they're addressed to. Um, and in doing that, I will try to pinpoint what I think is the main uh, point of contention or the main unresolved issue. And then I'm going to try to elaborate what I think is involved in that issue um, in a way that goes rather beyond what uh, has currently been done in the, or the way the problem is currently framed within Marxism and IR. Um, and then having done that, I'm going to turn to why I think it is to look at why I think it is that uh, the current Marxist approaches in IR have been unable to resolve uh, or even perhaps properly address what I think the real this, this question really involves. Um, so that would be having a, a brief look at uh, several of the different strands of Marxist theorising in IR with reference to this particular problem about the relation to realism. Then I'm going to suggest uh, that the difficulty they've had in, in addressing and resolving this issue is in fact traceable back to Marx's own thinking and a legacy of ambiguities in Marx's own thinking um, that have been carried through into in a kind of unreflected way into present day um, Marxist theory and IR. And then at the end I'm going to just try to draw some conclusions from all this to suggest what it might mean for Marxist theory um, or, or if one wants to put it this way, materialist theory, which is perhaps isn't reducible to Marxism as such, but will take off from Marxism. Um, so that's the, the basic structure of the argument. So turning first to this question of where Marxism is at in IR, um, the texts I'm going to be using are the general debates that were had uh, between or among IR Marxists in the journal The Cambridge Review of International Affairs uh, just a few years ago. There were sort of two rounds to this debate. The first was in, I think, 2007, and then there was a sort of follow-up round in 2009. Um, and then a lot of the main uh, contributions, plus some further material, was gathered together in the book that Alex edited um, called Marxism and World Politics. Um, and the, the basic question I think that these, most of these debates resolved, revolved around were, was the question of the relationship between Marxist theory and uh, the state system and the, the multiplicity of political entities found in, uh, as it were, global political space. Um, and I think this question has gradually evolved within Marxist historical sociology over the last ten years. Um, as it's come to pinpoint with increasing precision the question of the, the uh, causal efficacy of political multiplicity um, within any general larger theory of uh, social development and historical development. Um, what specifically, what are the causal determinations in the sense of the international for thinking about social development? And this was to try to um, as it were, embed the international into um, causal historical sociology at a, at a deeper level than it, is, than it had previously been done. Um, 
so that was one kind of strand that's led up to this. Um, another strand was the question of what's become known as the many states debate, which is simply, and I suppose this might have arisen out of the kind of globalization debates. Um, that is why within an increasingly um, homogenous and seamless and, and single world uh, economic space um, with this uh, you know, infinitesimal, multitudinous number of economic and indeed other social and cultural transactions and, and exchanges going on all around the world all the time. Why it is that as the world is unified in this way, there are still multiple political entities within this space. So why is it that all these other integrations don't produce, don't, apparently don't produce a political integration? Um, so what is the sort of meaning of uh, the multiplicity of political entities within the uh, capitalist global space? Um, and a further aspect, I think, was simply Marxism's own, as it were, maturing within IR as a discipline. Um, that as it's developed as a subgenre within that discipline, it's, it's had to inevitably um, think about and encounter other theoretical positions within that discipline, particularly realism. So it's been forced, as it were, really to confront and think about this core problematic of the, of the discipline of IR, which is the existence of the international itself. So one might say that where in the kind of 60s and 70s a lot of the Marxist debate, or a leading strand within Marxist debates, was the relationship between capital and the state, taken in the singular, thinking about the old state debate of the 1970s or some of the Althusserian debates. One might say that now that's changed and it's more like what's the relation between capital and many states, or the multiplicity of states, thinking that uh, the capitalist state always appears to exist as a, as a, a multiplicity within a kind of fractured and, um, as the realists would have it, anarchic global political space. And I think one um, aspect of this development is that the old uh, characteristic Marxist problematic of imperialism, which was very much a signature of, of Marxist theory um, within um, broadly international thought, has been progressively kind of eclipsed. Um, and I think this is probably again for two reasons. One is that that theory uh, was proved to be vulnerable to um, the critique or the criticism that it was effectively a kind of economic reductionist theory, that it, it flattened out um, the distinction between, or, uh, between a political moment and an economic moment and wanted to read in, quite, in a too strong a way um, political developments and political um, dynamics through uh, economic dynamics. Um, and so in that sense it was shown to be vulnerable. Um, and in a second sense, I think it was also, as Marxism developed within IR, it came to realise that imperialism, in fact, the imperialism thesis isn't in fact an international theory. That imperialism, as it were, assumes the international, the imperialist theory assumed the international as a space and then tried to theorise dynamics within it, rather than problematising the international per se as, uh, as, as the space, the global political space. Uh, and focusing on that. So in a sense, imperialism theory was pitched at too low a level. Um, and so, as I say, I think um, it's fair to say that imperialism, that thematic, has been progressively, as it were, shunted aside as Marxism has kind of buried itself deeper into uh, the basic problem of, of the discipline of IR. Um, and one result of that um, is that 
in its stead, as it were, a range of possible positions has sprung up um, around this question of the relationship between Marxism and uh, the nation-state system. Um, and probably the extreme position um, in this, uh, this range is that taken by political Marxism, which, whether or not one happens to agree with it, at least has the merit of, as it were, clarifying some of the issues simply by virtue of taking the extreme position. Um, and if I understand it correctly, the political Marxists um, argue that effectively political multiplicity is entirely extrinsic to capital uh, to, and to the concept of capital, um, and that capital could perfectly well exist, uh, at least in theory, through a single global political space, a single unified global political space. Um, and that, as they argue, uh, the modern state system is a, a product of absolutism and state formation under absolutism, which they regard as uh, fundamentally not capitalist. Um, and then capital kind of grew out of and developed out of this um, setting and has gradually come to subsume it to itself uh, and hasn't, um, it hasn't obliterated it, but maybe, possibly, it could do. Um, so, essentially, they're arguing that these two things are totally separate. Political multiplicity and, and capital are completely separate. Um, that position has, I think, um, worried and, and been unconvincing to a, a number of other Marxists uh, within IR and various other uh, kind of more or less kind of compromised positions have been put forward between, as it were, the old economic reductionism of uh, imperialism theory, if I can put it that way, and uh, the position the political Marxists take. And in the, I'm just going to look at really focus on trying to focus on two texts from the 2007 debate that try to take up this this problem of how do we think the relation between uh, capital and uh, the multiplicity of political entities. The first is Alex Kalinikos's piece called "Does Capitalism Need the State System," which was basically um, the text around which the first debate was really kind of structured. Um, it was that text and then a series of responses to it, as it were. Um, and in that text, he describes it as a, as a theoretical anomaly that this particular problem hasn't been resolved yet. Um, and I'd like to suggest that it's a bit more than a theoretical anomaly and there's really more going on in this problem than uh, he perhaps allows for there. Um, but in any case, setting that aside, the, the approach he takes is... Um, I can't remember exact, the exact word he uses, but it's basically derived from how he thinks about Marx's method in capital. Um, I think it's something like non-deductive concretization or something like that. That's exactly it. Um, and what he's saying is that um, in capital, as Marx moves from the very abstract and general determinations in volume one, progressively closer to, as it were, concrete reality, he introduces uh, determinations at each level that are not entirely reducible or reducible to or deducible from the, as it were, abstract <coughs> concept of capital. Um, so it's a bit difficult to work out exactly how he thinks about this, but it, in a sense these have got a kind of relative autonomy, you might say, that they're both uh, within the theory of capital and yet somehow not completely reducible to it. They have their own determinations that can't just be deduced out of uh, the needs of or the kind of logical structure of capital um, and he does that uh, alongside or it's, it's part of his um, theorization that he's done with uh, David Harvey under the heading of the new imperialism um, 
where they're trying to think about the, the dynamics of, of capital and uh, imperialism, and they posit that there are, as it were, two logics of uh, competition. One is a, a capitalist logic of competition, a kind of economic logic, and the other is a territorial logic. Um, what I suppose one might think of, therefore, as a, as a kind of political logic. Um, and they argue that these two should be thought of as dialectical and contradictory rather than as functionally one-sided in any way. So in some way, some sort of dynamic way, these two things work together. Um, as I read it, I don't, I don't think they specify exactly why they are dialectical um, at any deeper level of what, uh, you know, if one were to think of it in Hegelian terms, they don't show what uh, the kind of speculative identity might be of these two determinations. Um, but that's, in any case, that's, as it were, Kalinikos's approach and his way of trying to think about these uh, issues. And one consequence, as he puts it, of, his, of this approach is that, well, as he puts it, he says, one implication of this is that there is necessarily a realist moment in any Marxist analysis of international relations and conjunctures. And this is precisely because, um, as he argues, the state system and uh, the political element can't be, as it were, wholly deduced out of the, the uh, theory of capital. So he's prepared to allow what he calls a realist moment um, to accommodate this kind of non-identity, as it were. Um, and the realist moment that he, he opens up there has worried quite a number of other Marxist theorists um, about whether what's involved in allowing a realist moment into any Marxist theory in IR. And if you look, for instance, at the... Uh, exchange of letters that he and Justin Rosenberg uh, published in the Cambridge Review of International Affairs in 2008. Um, Justin points out there that he says that from outside international relations, allowing a realist moment looks more or less harmless uh, and, and kind of commonsensical. Um, you know, why not, as it were? Um, but he says that as soon as you're inside international relations, to do that effectively gives the whole game away because it just allows into uh, Marxism all the kind of, uh, as it were, realist, geopolitical, in a sense, reified determinations that it's precisely Marxism's task, or, or should be Marxism's task, to try to break down, try to resolve into something uh, more, as Justin would put it, more sociological. Um, so in a sense, he's thinking that uh, there's, a, there's a kind of danger in this a realist moment that Klinikos is allowing, that it's allowing something into Marxism that is really uh, extrinsic to it, um, and that Klinikos is giving too much away there. Um, and this is a line of thought that's taken up in the other text I wanted to briefly look at from that 2007 debate, which is Gonzalo, is it Pozzo Martin? Pozzo Martin. Pozzo Martin's um, response to uh, Alex Klinikos. And he also is very worried in that text about this, what he called the, the realist moment that Kalinikos is prepared to admit. Um, and one of, the, one of the elements of his response is that allowing the realist moment, as it were, uh, leaves territori territoriality as something external to Marxism. He says, if the territorial logic of competition is autonomous, does it follow that we must relinquish an attempt to explain its determinations from the perspective of historical materialism? So, if you allow a realist moment, are you effectively saying that there's something about territoriality and, and the political moment that is essentially outside the theory of capital, outside historical materialism, and not explicable in the terms of Marxist social theory? Um, and I think for people, for 
most Marxists to allow something that's wholly foreign, apparently wholly foreign to the uh, to historical materialism, is more or less an unacceptable step. Uh, that historical materialism's claim as a kind of social theory effectively is a kind of total claim, um, and that it ought to be able to say something profound about pretty much any social determination in that respect. So he thinks there's something dangerous about, um, again, there's something dangerous about allowing a realist moment of something apparently autonomous and, and apparently separate, and that really uh, part of Marxism's vocation in international relations ought to be to try to uh, think through in a materialist, historical materialist, whatever you want to say, uh, but basically a kind of Marxist way, uh, what these determinations might be, how they might be explicable in a, in a kind of deep or profound way. Um, and so to leave something outside is, um, is a dangerous step to take. So that's one aspect of his response. Uh, and the other aspect is where he describes realism as being alien to historical materialism. Um, and this really got me thinking. It's an interesting turn of phrase because elsewhere in the article he says that he admits that in some senses realism and historical materialism share important themes. They both have quite a strong emphasis on conflict and on power within international dynamics. Uh, and out of that they both have a kind of shared hostility to liberalism as a, and any kind of liberal um, idea of a, of a pacified international arena. Um, although you might argue those hostilities that ultimately live off different centres. Um, but despite these kind of this common ground, nevertheless, realism is in some sense, some deeper sense, alien to historical materialism and poses a real, I would argue, that what lies behind this is the perception that realism poses a kind of danger to historical materialism. That to allow realism, as it were, more or less undigested into historical materialism, would be to admit a kind of poison into the body of historical materialism that would ultimately corrode it from within. There's something uh, that alarms him about this, it seems to me, and there's something he, he perceives a kind of danger in what realism presents. And this is what really got me thinking about what is, what is the problem that realism really presents to Marxism? Uh, why, despite, as I say, a shared hostility to liberalism, is realism, are, are Marxists so in a certain sense, uh, concerned about realism. I mean, it, it's striking, for instance, that if you look across uh, Marxist texts and you look at some of the responses to realism, uh, and they're often quite off-the-cuff responses, or, or they're often very, very hostile and almost kind of defensive, that they often want to sort of dismiss realism as just... I mean, Alex Klinikos calls it, you know, he calls... Uh, realism just mere statesman's lament at one point as if it's just kind of hypocritical discourse it's a discourse that just is a kind of cover for naked power interests really uh, and it's just you know it's serviceable to American power um, and it's there's the, the something or it's just a kind of reified discourse that's reflective of you know Robert Cox argued this back in the 80s it's just reflective of you know Cold War determinations that they, they want to in a sense downplay in that sense the seriousness of, of, of realism um, and I would suggest there's something, you know, you could say, uh, maybe slightly mischievously, but you could say there's a kind of defensiveness and a slightly sort of symptomatic quality about that attempt to, to brush realism aside. Um, yeah, another version is often uh, put forward is that realism is just the kind of institutionalisation of American positivist social science and it's, 
uh, you know, to connect it into uh, the American the, the connection between the American Academy and American foreign policy and so forth. And it has this it has this kind of crude instrumentality to it, and that we can sort of dismiss it along those lines. And I think those kind of approaches they almost protest too much, as it were. And th- th- there's something they suggest there's something more going on behind it. So this is what got me thinking anyway um, about what I've called the challenge that realism poses to Marxism. And I think actually this is much more substantial and much more serious than Marxism has ever really allowed in IR or allowed itself to admit. Um, so that's what I wanted to turn to now. Um, I guess, I don't know, but I guess people here are, are more or less familiar with what realism in IR says, what its kind of basic theses are. But um, I thought I would just kind of try to encapsulate this. Um, and Robert Gilpin actually sums it up quite nicely in a an essay he contributed to the volume uh, Neorealism and its Critics that was um, put out in the mid-1980s as a kind of uh, discussion volume about Waltz's reformulation of realism's neorealism. Um, and he says, basically, there are three assumptions that underlie the realist view of political life. The first is the essentially conflictual nature of international affairs. The second is that the essence of social reality is the group and the third is the primacy in all political life of power and security and human motivation. So, as I see it, realism's argument, the core of realism's argument, really is about the nature of political being per se. That there is something that political being is fundamentally, in a sense, limited and particularistic. That it creates this kind of group identity and the inside-outside borderline. Uh, the division between friends and enemies and countrymen and foreigners. Uh, and that this is somehow intrinsic to the nature of uh, human political being. Um, so that as I put it in the, uh, in the article, right, what realism um, perceives with unequal clarity is that the form of the political simultaneously creates internal unity and external division. Um, so that the internal political space might be the space, as Martin White put it in his famous essay, that the space in which the pursuit of the good life is possible. But Nevertheless, externally, um, the political entity always remains caught within this wider condition of the international, which remains fragmented and unreconciled and kind of uh, ridden by conflict and power. Um, And realism, I think, doesn't theorise why that is. It theorises out from these conditions and draws its determinations from that. Um, But I think, crude though it may seem, it's nevertheless a very powerful uh, perception and one that's surprisingly difficult to really overturn, I think, convincingly. I mean, you could say most radical theory in IR, one way or another, it posit- or pitches itself against this realist perception of, of the nature of international existence. Um, and I think the implications of the realist uh, vision have been set out most uh, provokingly for Marxism by, uh, or in an article from a long time ago, from 1971, by uh, a guy called R.N. Berkey. And he opens with the assertion that the very existence of international relations poses a serious and perhaps intractable problem, emphasis on problem, for Marxism. And this is because international relations presuppose the horizontal division of mankind into nations or states. And since Marxian thought postulates the absolute unity of mankind as its ideal, problems relating to horizontal group diversity are much more centrally relevant to the Marxian doctrine than it is usually thought. Now, one can, of course, argue about whether Marxian thought really does postulate the absolute unity of mankind as its ideal. Um, that's, 
would require you know, a considerable investigation into Marxist texts, and even those texts are probably not really, uh, in fact, kind of conclusive on the matter. But you can see, nevertheless, what it is that Berkey's getting at. It's really a problem about universality uh, and about the problem of the conditions of human freedom. That uh, Marxian thinking has as its ambition a kind of um, freeing of humanity from what they called in the, the German, German ideology, the muck of ages, as it were, all the conditions that drag it down and reduce it to, uh, as it were, slavery and conflict and oppression and domination and so forth. Um, and so what it's driving towards is some kind of true universality, uh, some kind of um, social condition in which uh, humans can realise their own potentiality in some way. And Berkey's argument is that the horizontal, uh, fragment, the horizontal diversity and the fragmentation of global political space works against this Marxian ambition in a kind of profound way um, because of the nature of, ultimately because of the nature of political form. Um, and in a kind of summary overview he points out that in, in kind of classical orthodox Marxism it's classes rather than nations that are the centre of, of the theoretical approach um, and that um, the state as an apparatus of political domination is a product of class conflict organised to maintain the system of exploitation internally and externally to facilitate the overseas expansion of the bourgeois class so in the Marxist vision, the proletariat having uni a unity of interest in overthrowing bourgeois society is essentially a kind of nationless class. And then, so that's what he takes to be the, more or less the kind of core of orthodox Marxist theorising, um, at least from a kind of political point of view. And then he turns to Waltz's book, Man, the State and War, um, to try to pick out what he thinks is a problem with this mode of thinking. Um, and he says, Waltz's question is legitimate. Is it capitalism or states that must be destroyed in order to get peace, or must both be abolished? The distinction between these two phases or tasks is certainly warranted in point of theory. So what they're trying to tease out here is the idea that uh, Marxism has paid insufficient attention to uh, the problem of political form and the problem of horizontal, the horizontal division of political space, um, and the question of uh, does the, the rationalisation of the inside of that space in some way transform its external relations as well? And if so, how? Um, and I think what they're arguing is that this has never been made, hasn't been properly addressed, and has never been made really the focus of theoretical attention, at least to a sufficient degree within Marxism or within Marxism in IR in any case. Uh, and Berkey observes that the problem is whether the disappearance of the state after the overthrow of capitalism refers only to its internal character as an agency maintaining oppression and exploitation of one class by another, or also to its external function, which can be defined as organising and promoting the interests of a group of people distinguished by their permanent occupation of a certain geographical area. It does not matter, of course, whether now one calls it state, nation or community, or the administration of things, as long as what is meant is a plurality of these units. So as I say, the idea, the idea here is that uh, what they're asking is does, does the transformation of the inner space uh, radically change its external uh, appearance as it were does uh, the Marxian transformation of the, the political social space um, in some way overcome international fragmentation and what they're arguing what Waltz argues is that um, 
that at least hasn't been properly thought through by Marxism. That they assumed simply that it was possible to uh, transform the internal division and not really bother with the external element, as it were, or not really think that through. Which is why, in both uh, Man, the State, and War and Theory of International Politics, he argues that Marxism is really the quintessence of what he calls reductionist theories. Um, and um, Berkey he kind of has an overview of how gradually, uh, as it were, practical Marxism has come to accommodate itself to uh, what might, one might think of as realist imperatives and has come to accommodate itself to the separateness of nations and uh, the multiplicity of political entities and so forth and try to, in various ways, kind of inflect or change the theory or, or uh, read the theory in such a way as to um, accommodate these determinations to it or accommodate it to them. Um, and then he asks the question, which I think is, is uh, quite a powerful one, where he says, can Marxism afford this compromise? Does it make any sense in terms of Marxian thought to talk about non-antagonistic diversity? Can Marxism at all entertain the idea of liberated but separate nations living peacefully side by side without thereby losing its coherence? And he develops this slightly odd and idiosyncratic um, way of arguing it, where he says that one can think about uh, nations and political entities as, in a sense, property owners within a wider system of property owners, in the sense that uh, the political entity makes a kind of exclusive claim over a given area of territory um, and the resources and so forth contained in that territory. Um, and in that sense, they might be, thought, be able to be thought of as property, um, property owners. And he says the point is that nations cannot help but be self-regarding as long as their position is that of owners of property in a wider community characterised by economic interdependence. And the idea here is that, I think, is that so long as political form is based upon, um, as it were, territoriality, exclusive territoriality in this way, um, and uh, what Schmidt called the taking of land or appropriation of land, um, then there's something... then effectively that automatically vitiates the Marxian vision of um, a true universality in the sense that the somehow this automatically creates internal external divisions um, and means that uh, in global political space becomes fragmented and becomes conflictual. Um, and I think this is what the, the implication of and the meaning of Berkeley's argument is for Marxism. And it's put in a slightly peculiar way, which is perhaps why it's rather been overlooked, but I think it's actually a much more powerful uh, argument than has, has really been allowed for. Um, and I think it, as it were, explains what the real challenge that realism poses to Marxism is, um, which is that the international itself is involved with or um, is a modality of the denial of freedom and of the denial of the Marxian idea of freedom. That is, the international, as such, kind of cuts straight across a Marxian vision of a true universality. Um, and I think this is what, in a certain sense, the deepest thing that realism says in international relations. And I think it says it really by implication rather than in a theoretically self-conscious way. Is that through the political, through political form, humans are both free and unfree. In the sense that they're free in that the political is the modality of their sovereignty and their autonomy and the possibility of self-determination um, and the, 
politicalism a modality of their, their separation from nature and their ability to control and shape and organise their own lives. But at the same time, because political form always seems to have this uh, bounded, delimited, inside-outside uh, form, which takes a particularly strong form in the modern nation-state, but extends back beyond that in, in one way or another, uh, political boundaries aren't an invention of uh, modern nation-states. Um, because of this delimited and particularistic form, the, the political entity always remains caught within the wider condition of the international, which is really a condition of kind of unfreedom. It's why they theorise you know, the, the thematic of the state of nature is such a strong thematic in, in realist IR, that uh, through the freedom of the political, humans remain within the unfreedom of uh, the fractured, conflict-ridden uh, realm of the international. And I think it's pretty much historically undeniable in this sense that at the international level, that in a way has always been the case. That at the level of the whole, there never has been, humanity has never been in a certain sense, or in an emphatic sense, um, aware of itself and in control of its own existence. That there has never been a global social subject. That the international, in a sense, is a denial of the uh, proper, as it were, proper rationality and proper reason, proper political freedom um, of humans through the modality of the political. Um, and I think that's what, I think that's the real challenge that realism poses to Marxists. It's really about a question about freedom um, and the possibility of uh, a universality than, rather than, uh, as it's often taken to be, uh, a problem about uh, historical causality and so forth um, and I think broadly speaking you could say that in IR Marxism has uh, taken realism to be more or less a causal theory about uh, geopolitics and international determinations and I think it's very successfully shown that um, realism doesn't have enough determinations or rich enough determinations to produce any kind of really plausible causal theory and the Marxism has, has in fact, quite easily and successfully been able to do much better than that. But that's actually not really where the challenge of realism to Marxism lies, I think. Um, the question I think that realism really poses to Marxism is can Marxism, as it were, tolerate the international? Or is it not the point, really, that, that Marxist thinking ought to be able to try to think what would be a condition of freedom beyond the international, um, and therefore beyond the kind of delimited uh, political form that produces the international? Um, so that, I think, is, is the real challenge of realism. Um, and I thought I would just look very quickly about, I've been going on a bit here, but um, about why that challenge hasn't been met within, um, within existing strands of IR Marxism. Uh, and if one takes it that the question of political form, the question of the political, is really the ground on which any challenge to realism has to take place, has to be pitched, um, then one can look in the Marxism uh, approaches and say, well, what do they make of this question of political form? And it quickly becomes evident that really they don't make anything of it because it's an, it's an absence within Marxist theorising. Uh, all the various schools, in one way or another, tend simply to assume the, uh, the form of the political and then reason out from that and produce determinations out from that about um, within historical sociology about um, 
the causality of the um, social process. Um, and perhaps in a way the most interesting example of this is uneven and combined development, um, which has been kind of most developed in the most um, kind of emphatic way by Justin Rosenberg over the last sort of ten years or so. Um, and because that was explicitly um, pitched as an attempt to overcome the reifications of realism and to try to produce a social theory that wouldn't uh, concede to the realist splitting off of geopolitics from sociological determinations, but would rather try to produce a theory that would integrate uh, the international right into any theory of social development. Um, and so to overcome what he thinks of as the, uh, the fallacies of classical social theory in terms of um, taking a kind of singular society view uh, and a unilinear idea of development and to try to think the kind of dynamic multiplicity um, of social development through the problematic of the international. And it, like I say, it was explicitly kind of designed against um, or to try to overcome um, what realism says, to try to take its determinations into itself but not concede to it. And I think that, and I, I've argued this with Justin on various occasions, that um, I think it's highly likely and perfectly possible that uneven combined development will produce a better and more complete, uh, as it were, historical sociology or social theory in terms of um, historical causality, certainly than realism can produce and probably better than uh, classical social theory has been able to produce. Uh, with more complete and, and better integrated and better thought through determinations. But I don't see how that overcomes what I've called the challenge of realism. Because, as I see, what it does is, I think what it does is ultimately ground realism in social theory. But I don't think it's, I don't see how it can uh, think beyond the condition that realism delineates. What it really does, is, in a certain sense, is take realism into itself and, as I say, properly think it through and ground it, um, rather than really go beyond it. Um, and this is, I think that's characteristic of all of the other um, leading schools of Marxism, and I, I won't go through them all here, although I've sort of dealt with two or three of them in the article, um, Neo-Grantianism and Political Marxism. But in one way or another, they, tend, they assume the political as form, and then uh, theorise out from that position, whereas it's precisely the form problem of the political that I think is what realism grasps um, and, and the problematic character of that that realism grasps most strongly and that's what really needs to be um, dug out and kind of um, subjected to critical scrutiny um, and I'll just quickly say how I think this ambiguity goes back to Marx himself um, because I think if you look in Marx's a number of Marx's texts what you find is that I think Adorno in one of his lecture series says that uh, Marx consigned the whole sphere of politics to, to ideology. That basically, uh, bourgeois politics was um, a kind of semblance. It was, a, it was a, a delusive kind of surface appearance of society and didn't really cut properly into what, uh, what constituted society and what the real dynamic of society was. It was just something that happened on the kind of ideological, fetishistic thing that happened on the surface. And that really, in fact, all of our, the, the kind of content of the politics of bourgeois society comes from the antagonistic uh, manner of society's self-reproduction through the class struggle and so forth. And if that you have to understand if you really want to understand the political and, and social dynamic of bourgeois society. So in that sense, there's an, in Marx, I think there's a kind of negation of politics as high politics, you might think of. Um, but I think at the same time as Marx does that, he nevertheless 
holds on to um, the idea of the political space per se as the space in which revolution and transformation is going to take place. Um, so that there is, there's a kind of ambiguity, I think, at work in Marx's text. Um, and the, the Communist Manifesto, in a way, is, is kind of um, symptomatic of that, where he says both that the working men have no country, so in that sense the proletariat is, is, is a kind of universal class, but on the other hand, that the struggle of the proletariat with the bourgeoisie is at first a national struggle. The proletariat of each country must, of course, first of all settle matters with its own bourgeoisie. So already here there's this tension between the universality of the, of the class on the one hand, and yet its necessary uh, struggle within the kind of delimited and particularistic nation-state. Um, and then he says, since the proletariat must first of all acquire political supremacy, must rise to be the leading class of the nation, must constitute itself the nation, it is so far itself national, though not in the bourgeois sense of the word. But the question is, in what sense of the word? Um, I think there's a, essentially a kind of unresolved ambiguity, really, in, in the Marxian idea of uh, universality on the one hand and delimitation and particularity on the other, um, and how uh, one is going to be resolved through the other. Um, and I think that's carried through most of Marx's, as, as far as I can see, carried through most of Marx's political thinking. Um, and I think it's carried right through that into um, you know, the, the contradiction between nationalism and internationalism that was immediately uh, fractured and, and split apart by the struggles around the First World War, uh, at the beginning of the First World War. Um, and I think ultimately it's um, still in a certain kind of unreflected way been um, carried through into current IR Marxism that, that the, the form of the... I mean, Marx essentially posits the idea that the form of the political is going to be filled with a radically different content but he doesn't really ask, can that form contain such a different content? Can that content go into that form? Or would the form itself not have somehow have to be itself radically changed um, if this different content is going to be, um, as it were, contained within it, if one can put it that way? So this, this question of the form of the political, I think, is, is, has remained a kind of blind spot within, uh, within Marxism and was carried right through into IR Marxism. And that, I think, is where realism continues to be a real problem for it and a real challenge to it of, of thinking about what uh, a true universality would be. So that's really what I wanted to say about where I think the, um, the real challenge and the real problem of realism for Marxism lies. Um, and just by what I thought I'd just say one or three things by way of conclusion. Um, the first, I think, is that the history of 20th century Marxism and its entanglement within precisely the kind of geopolitical conflict and determinations that realism insists upon suggests that one ought to take Berkeley's argument seriously. Um, and what it leads to is a kind of dilemma for theory that, on the one hand, not incorporating the problem of territoriality and the problem of bounded political form leaves the door open to realism. So if one's Marxism is going to avoid that, it's got to find a way of thinking through these determinations. But on the other hand, incorporating them in a way means incorporating realism, because that's what realism is all about. So the, the challenge is really how is it possible to think through these ways in a, in a way that doesn't fall prey to realist essentializing? Um, and by mere realist essentializing, I mean the, the idea that realism, uh, realism thinks out from these determinations but basically assumes them. Um, and it's um, forecloses the possibility really of thinking or, or the possibility of social being beyond uh, the form of the international. Um, 
So how is it possible to break out of that kind of conundrum? Um, and in my view, the, the debates that were had in the Cambridge Review of International Affairs, in a way, didn't really produce um, any kind of theoretical breakthrough or, or theoretical resolution, precisely because they were done in the absence of any sustained theorization of the problem of the political and, and of political form. So they were trying to discuss the relationship of capitalism to the nation-state, to, the, to the, the modern form of the political, but in the complete absence of any real theorization of what political being is, what, it, uh, what we might mean when we talk about that in any kind of deeper way. Um, so they always tended to fall back into effectively economic, economistic explanations um, for uh, what are really political determinations. Um, so there's a real problem there that I think has to be thought through. Um, and further, I think Marxism ought to uh, acknowledge to itself that the international itself should be seen as a problem and as the object of critique, uh, rather than just the setting for theory, as it were. Um, that the critique of the international is the critique of, poli of the political and of political form, uh, because it's that that produces the fractured space of the international. So in a way, by way of final conclusion, um, I think the implication of these kind of considerations is um, that the kind of historical Marxism that has been able to uh, bring these considerations almost to consciousness but not really frame them properly um, at least needs to be supplemented because I don't think these are questions, these are really form determination questions and uh, I don't think they're questions that are really resolvable through the kind of historical sociological um, discourse that characterises Marxism and IR. In, in my view, they call for, if one can put it this way, a more kind of philosophical um, approach to Marxian thinking, to try to think of what, what might be connections between uh, the commodity form and, and political form uh, and these kind of things, um, which I don't think the historical sociological style of, of theory can I think they've been able pretty much to pose them but not I don't think they can resolve them which is one reason why I think the, the debates in, in the Cambridge Review uh, didn't produce a kind of proper resolution because ultimately I think the point is not to ask how geopolitics and the international work not merely what are their dynamics and how do we theorise their dynamics but to ask if one can put it this way, a more ontological question of what they are. Um, because the real challenge, as I say, is not, just, not merely to theorise how the international works and what its causal properties are, but really to think how one might get out of it. What might be a social condition and a political being that was beyond the condition of the international as realism thinks it and delineates it. That, I think, is, is the real kind of challenge to Marxism. So the part of the point of this paper is to try to uh, in a way perhaps kind of persuade people to reorientate Marxist thinking away from what's uh, been the usual style of Marxist thought in IR. So that's pretty much everything I wanted to say. Sorry I've gone way at the time. No, but, uh, okay.